I like this ship. You know, it's exciting. Stardate 98154.8. Welcome to a special Patreon episode of Star Trek Discovery Pod, a kind of smart, kind of funny podcast covering brand new Star Trek and beyond. I'm your reluctant captain, Mike Garcia. With me on the view screen is Mariah Gossett, Clyde Haynes, and Grant Davis. Guys, we are finally doing it. We've been promising this for months. And it's finally happening. Tonight, we kick off a short series of Patreon-exclusive pods all about the Star Trek Kelvin movies. And, of course, we're starting with a retro review of director J.J. Abrams' Star Trek 2009, the one that started it all again. And, you know, typically we've been doing these movie reviews behind the Patreon paywall. You know, we want to... Uh, do a little extra something special for our patrons. But because this is the first in a brand new series, the the current, at least for the time being, trilogy um, that Abrams started, we're going to put this one out for everyone. So all of you guys are going to be able to check this out. But we highly encourage all of you that are listening. If you want to hear more, if you want to hear us do the reviews of Star Trek Into the Darkness and Star Trek Beyond, Please come join us over at patreon.com slash Star Trek pod. There you can make a per episode pledge of $2 an episode. And if you do that, you'll join us on our private exclusive Slack channel where you can chat with other Trekkies who just love everything that's going on Trek in the TV verse, in the film verse. And you can also hear our other reviews of movies, including we did those earlier Wrath of Khan ones. What was that? Genesis? Is that what it was called? Uh, the, yeah, the Genesis trilogy. Yeah. Genesis trilogy. Yeah. Uh, you can check those out as well. It was and, Bill Collins. You can hear me uh, complain about Wrath of Khan. I'm probably like the only person who's never liked Wrath of Khan. <laughs> yes. And not only can you hear us talk about movies, but we have a bunch of other series as well, including a best of seven of nine series. So if you want to get to learn a little bit more about the backstory of seven of nine, as we prepare for a season two of Picard sometime in probably 2022. And we also have been covering other badass women of Trek because we loved watching seven of nine kick so much, butt. we thought let's expand it. Let's talk about all of the other amazing women characters on the show. So make sure you join us over on the Patreon. And what's really exciting is while we wait for the next season of Picard and while we patiently, patiently wait for Discovery, we have something new that's coming. We're going to be covering Star Trek Lower Decks Weekly when the show premieres in August. Um, So I just want to let all of you listeners know that you can watch the live stream as we review those episodes on Thursday nights at 9 p.m. Central. You can catch us on YouTube um, and you should subscribe to the pod Um, and you should subscribe to our YouTube channel at StarTrekPod.co so that you can catch our live streams. It's a lot of fun. All right, guys. You know, most nerd podcasters would take at least two hours to cover this movie on a podcast. But to that, I say two hours. We'll do it in one. Punch it. Your father was captain of the starship for 12 minutes. He saved 800 lives. Including yours. 
dare you to do better. Enlist in Starfleet. You will experience fear. Fear in the face of certain death. for this day my whole life. This day of reckoning. You are capable of deciding your own destiny. The question is, which path will you choose? James T. Kirk was a great man, but that was another life. All right, let's do this, you pointy-eared bastard. Star Trek 2009, directed by J.J. Abrams. Co-produced by Abrams and the homie Damon Lindelof, written by Roberto Orsi and our new TV Trek boss, Alex Kurtzman. The film premiered in theaters, whatever those are, in May 8th, 2009. Had a budget of $150 million, grossed right under $400 million worldwide, making it the most financially successful Star Trek theatrical release since then. I think it still is the top one. Uh, yeah, the movie was a hit, earned solid reviews, even if some diehard fans were not won over by it. It rebooted the Star Trek timeline. It made Star Trek accessible once again to mass audiences all around the world. It kickstarted a new era of Trek for the 21st century. And partly thanks to the success of this movie, we have Discovery, Picard, Lower Decks, and all the new Trek content hitting our screens, fingers crossed, over the next several years. And we have us. And we're here. Yeah. 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 We're our, here. We yeah. were all conceived because of this movie. Yeah. This guy. <laughs> our parents. Uh, Quinto met this guy, Pine, and they had babies. And we are the babies. <laughs> we are their babies. <laughs> Star Trek babies. It's my script come true. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's get into it. I want to hear your Star Trek 2009 hot freaks. Hot freaks. All right. Who's freaking first? Uh, I'll jump in. I I gotta say, when this came out, I hated the idea of a reboot. Okay, hated the idea of a reboot. And when I found out that Zach Quinto was doing this after seeing him in Heroes, I was like, I'm I'm out. Like this is gonna be terrible. Wow. Really, he was the best part of Heroes. He was like the yeah, only good part, arguably. It was. It was really going to be hard. I was. I thought it was going to be hard for me to transition from him being basically a villain to him being like this iconic Spock character. Like that was going to be. That was. I found it challenging, and so I wasn't quite sure. But because I love Trek, I went. Um, and so on the rewatch, what I didn't remember is really what a great watch this was. I enjoyed this from beginning to end, and I was reminded how much fun. Um, and I kind of told myself, you really doubted Lindelof and Abrams. Like, what were you thinking? Um, this was a great ride. You were like, thinking I, of the rest of their, their filmography. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
<laughs> or at least but, like Lindelof's poor filmography. Yeah, Mission I Impossible mean, Three is pretty good. I don't know, but I like this. I mean, I thought this was it was a different. It was it. The tone is so different, but I really enjoyed this as a film. I did. Yeah, I mean, I so this probably re kickstarted my love of Trek because I grew up watching like Voyager on like the UPN um, channel as a kid and like uh, watching like reruns of of Next Gen and then you know like high school hit and in high school. It wasn't as cool to be into Star Trek, I'd say, still in the the early 2000s. <laughs> and so, um, and I already played D&D. So there's only so much nerd you could get made fun of at one point or another. So, yeah, I I think this movie did a, uh, a service for me because it re-kickstarted my love of it. My uh, good friend and roommate and I went to see it when it first came out and, um, yeah, I just I even reviewed it for my college newspaper. So maybe at some point I did find my original review, <laughs> which I'll just start with the title was Phasers Set to Stunning. Star Trek is worth it. <laughs> wow. So wow. That, I think Pretty that good. that is my original hot take. It was stunning. Minus <laughs> all of the uh, I will say on my rewatch, the amount of lens flares was a little <laughs> intense. A little much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, I, re- I remember the criticism going around about the lens flares and to be fair they are there but i don't know it it all feels of an atmosphere to me and i didn't like unless i was like thinking about it i I wasn't really overwhelmed by the lens flares um that said my hot freak this was the the first real trek that i've experienced and i loved it and I still love it. I think it's it's amazing storytelling. I love origin stories with um, a big ensemble and being able to play off of an already well-known franchise. I mean, this is what I love about Marvel movies as well. Uh, you, you know these characters already. You have some degree of familiarity with them. So seeing them in this new take, this new iteration is a little bit of like this kind of endorphin rush of like, oh, how are they going to approach um, showing these characters? And... It was exciting. I, I just, I like um, everyone's take on these characters, how they play off of each other, how they build up the team. And, you know, it's funny because part of me watches this and I go, oh, come on. Uh, of course, those two just coincidentally bump into each other. But that's me projecting from the other Trek and knowing like, well, yeah, they, they do. They coincidentally bump into each other. That's how the, the origin is. Uh, anyway. That's how this works, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. It's 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 fun. I thought the beginning, it just, it, it, it comes in with a bang. It doesn't waste any time progressing the plot until they're out in space. They're doing a mission. Um, how everything kind of moves toward um, Kirk being on the, the main deck is fairly organic. The one thing that always tends to throw me with this is that the cast skews so young that it seems like some kind of CW <laughs> like iteration of Trek, but that's okay. It's so fun. And just like, I, I watched this the, just the other day I was live tweeting it and I was just having a great old time. It was a fun movie it is my favorite Trek movie. Huh. I have a lot to say about this movie, but first I should say, Guys, I love this movie. 
course you do. <laughs> There's your hot freak. All right. Hot freaks. Like Grant said, that opening sequence is electrifying. Maybe maybe one of the best emotionally resonant action sequences in all of Star Trek. I think I still that, cry watching that sequence. It's so good. <laughs> that so- narrative device that screenwriters use to reboot the timeline is really clever. Cause like a lot of this movie, it it acknowledges and celebrates and builds upon Star Trek's past while giving us this brand new take on the franchise. Um, like from the set design to the characterizations, it all feels like a a comfortable but exciting blend of the retro and the new. And we'll definitely dive a little more into that in a bit. But what I really love about this movie is its depiction of Kirk and Spock. But talking about Kirk and Spock, I think we get the deepest depictions of these characters from this movie. And the screenwriters did this brilliant thing uh, by making this really an origin story about Kirk and Spock's friendship. Uh, We have these two parallel origin story plot lines of them starting out as kids with lots of issues and then colliding in Starfleet and instantly becoming these bitter rivals. And then you know they're going to learn to make a pretty damn good team after a few black eyes and broken limbs. And Quinto is great. He is the logical, detached Spock that we remember, but he also conveys more of a hidden torment and emotion than I think Nimoy ever really did. Um, And when he just lets it rip, lets his emotions go. It's it's just super exciting when he explodes, even if you know it's coming. And Chris Pine is perfect as Kirk. It's like they gave him all the character traits of the Shatner Kirk, but added like a lot more salt and just made him way cooler and much more of like a bruiser and a brawler. But even though he's, for lack of a better term, a rebel, Dottie, uh, he's also like this, he has a sincere earnest side, that makes him credible as a captain, as a Starfleet captain. So it all works. Um, the movie is really fun. I love all the action, the pacing. These Abrams movies, man, the pacing in these movies is breathless. It's like yeah. really good. I'm never bored watching this one. I go back to it every year. There's one scene I kind of despise, but it doesn't ruin the movie for me. Um, I know a lot of Trek fans like to knock it because. Scene with Tyler Perry in it. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> Although that's like, is that Tyler Perry? Uh, like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, it's a scene when um, Kirk and Scotty beam back onto the Enterprise uh, clandestinely and they end up in the, oh, the in engineering. The which looks water like, room. Yeah, they end up in like, there's a brewery in the Enterprise and they get stuck in the pipes. Like, it's so ridiculous. But Yeah. I could do without that scene. But I know some like Trek fans like to knock this movie because unlike a lot of the best Star Trek, it doesn't it doesn't really offer any deep social commentary or political allegory or anything like that. Um I've watched it a hundred times. Maybe there's something to pull out of it from there. Um I think it, it tackles the concept of you know revenge pretty deeply. Like the idea sure. that revenge doesn't actually equal justice. And yeah, you're right about that. And I do think that it hews really closely to that sense of hope and optimism that Star Trek always gave us that I find really infectious in this movie. And it just fleshes out the characters of Kirk and Spock and some of the other crew members in such a deep and credible way with 
with this origin story and origin stories and reboots were all the rage back in 2009. Isn't this the year we got like Batman Begins? Um, or was it the Dark Knight? I don't know. Iron but, Man was just the year before. Okay, yeah. Wolverine was probably around that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this movie, the context in which it was released, it was just blockbuster after blockbuster coming out. You know, Marvel, DC, and then this came out. And this, I remember being like the uh, the the bright and shiny, optimistic uh, franchise blockbuster when it came out, and it really works. Yeah, you know, it's um it's interesting you said something in there, Mike, about the pacing. And Grant, you mentioned that this was like your first kind of foray into Trek. And I wonder if that m- it makes it a challenge for you to go back and watch things like TNG and Deep Space Nine and Voyager, where the pacing is way slower. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> modern storytelling it has become a lot more efficient and with especially just shorthand shortcuts for, you know, skipping all this stuff that us, the, the modern viewing audience just gets. They don't have to take a lot of time handholding and explaining certain things to us. We get it. Well, I, I just think that when you look at something like TNG, there was a lot of time spent on them just walking the halls, right? It's much more like the West Wing, where you're you're going to go 10 minutes and what you've seen is a conversation. Let's wear out this carpet. yeah, Right? I mean, Whereas, that's why I loved Discovery. Well, and that's the thing. With Discovery and when we look at stuff like this Abrams movie, what you see is there is no, there's no standing and talking, right? You're talking while you're fighting. Right, you're talking while you're yelling at each other. You're talking in the, while you're running down the hall in the middle of a, you know, a, a, a space battle, right? And so everything keeps moving. So I wonder for the fans who are used to this, you know, if this is your kind of what you've known as, as Trek. When we go back to some of those older classics, I imagine it could be a little like, what am I watching? Yeah. Why is, yeah. is I mean, to quote Grant? Why is Picard such a dick? <laughs> I, Clyde, you, you missed out on uh, our reviews of the earlier Genesis Trek movies, which uh, you guys can check out at patreon.com slash Star Trek pod. Uh, but I I recall just seeing those and going, all right, this is this is a different era of storytelling. <laughs> and it, it plays out in a, in a bit of a different way. This movie does not mess around from from the cold open of the USS Kelvin exploding tragically to the, the quick succession of beats of like, here are uh, Spock and Kirk as kids. Then all of a sudden they're at the Academy. Then he's cheating the Kobayashi Maru. And suddenly they get called up to space. They divide and figure out a plan to all uh, assemble on the enterprise and the plot goes. And it all happens so smoothly and gracefully. And I mean, think of all the other movies we've seen that are meandering and trying to figure out a, a clear way to assemble a team like this, that, that you have to kind of nail right up front because there's Trekkies watching. <laughs> it matters, but uh, also ease into that, that transition in a way that, that makes it palatable. So you're on board and, and it's, it's clear what's going on. I understand the plot of this. There's a lot of those Trek movies. I can't watch a single Mission Impossible movie and know what the plot was. I don't know ever what's going on in those movies. 
But here I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's the, pretty straightforward. I, I think you nailed it when you called it efficient because this movie is it just hits the ground running and goes, even though it gives us two pretty deep origin stories of two characters that are legendary in pop culture. We get to know more about their their youth and and uh when they were what they were like as kids and really what they're like as young adults more than ever throughout this, you know, 90 minute movie. But they wrap all that in a such a great forward momentum that feels everything feels credible, even though it's going really fast. You know what I mean? It, all the scenes make sense, all the character meetings and how these characters get to grow and trust each other really feels um, earned, even though it's all happening so quickly. Earned. Yeah. This. Yeah. I, I would add to that, you know, I was thinking about something that I love, the scene that I I love from this movie, and that is the drill scene. Mm-hmm. So y- y- we've got this drill going down the Vulcan, and what was it? Like Owens, Kirk, and Sulu was supposed to stop it, right? Uh, is Owens a red shirt? Yeah, he's yeah. literally the red suit. Right? Like, he's a red suit. Um, And that should have been your first warning that, you know, there's a little bit of comedy behind some of this stuff that's going on. Um, But when Kirk, when, when, when Sulu falls off the platform and Kirk dives after him, I thought to myself, that is some straight hero shit right there. Right. And it, what, what it reminded me of is what we're watching is, especially as an origin story, that it's, they're heroic for what they do, right? The things that they they've they're doing. Whereas by the time we get to kind of Star Trek the original series, the what they're the hero it's heroic decisions, right? They're making these great decisions, but a lot of the like it's not. I don't, I don't want to say they're old, but they're just not doing <laughs> hero stuff. They're, they've right? already made all of those kind of stupid but managed to work out mistakes. And so right. they've sort of learned from those l- lessons have been learned in their life by the time we see them on the television show versus here yes. we're seeing them make lots and lots of mistakes. And um, yeah, I agree. I really enjoy seeing the origin stories of Spock and Kirk in this particular timeline and sort of how they have to come together, even Spock having to physically nudge them together in this sort of time frame with his future self. I'll say there are on the rewatch, it's like those moments where you can see these characters were their origins were of a different time with like how schmoozy and sort of uh, way too into checking out chicks Kirk is. It's mm-hmm. like, it's interesting <laughs> watching it now. Cause I think even in like, college when I watched it I think I just thought it was funny and like now it's like oh this is problematic and then like you know I uh in the way that but he's he, supposed to be right he's supposed and to be kind of lecherous right yes and that's and that's but that's what I sort of mean is like these characters were written in a different time and their origins were of a different time and so I think that's where you can sort of see the age of it if you will um and then I don't love the Spock Ahura love like situation i just wish it wasn't as like hmm. i just wanted ahura to be kick-ass ahura before i saw her kissing spock on the on on the 
on the deck. You know what I mean? Are, are they an item ever in no. the No, there's like series? flirtations okay. a lot of times, but they're not actually together in the original series. That and I think just knowing how like, do you know, like, <laughs> it's like once you know that someone is queer and then you watching them not have a queer relationship, you're like, this isn't right anymore. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's called acting. I know. And I know it's acting and I, and I, and it is a believable relationship on screen. I think it's just like, I have such a deep love for Ahura and I really wanted her to be like a badass woman of Trek in this, in this movie. And she has these moments where you get to see her brilliance for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think her plot line is so emotionally driven based on this relationship rather than me being invested in her career. And so I think that is one of my only critiques of this, of this movie on rewatch. Mariah, I'm 100% with you. I felt like I didn't need it. Like I just didn't think it added anything really to the spot character that we didn't, that we didn't already have. And I thought it took away from her being able to stand up as, as a character, right? Like, we didn't need it from any of the other male characters, right? Like I, I, you know, I, I love the Sulu character, but I'm a big John Cho fan, um, and I thought he his character stood up completely without needing that dynamic. I thought she would have been great without it. It just didn't add anything to me. But but on the flip side, I like how they show how quickly and effortlessly she shows her skill and earns her place on the bridge. Like she's proven herself, of course, to both Kirk and Spock. And you see it in the relationship when she's like, why am I not on the enterprise? I've totally earned that. And, and Spock's like, well, the impropriety, I thought she's like, fuck that. Put me on there. And so like, she's, she's on the ship where she's rightfully claimed that she deserves to be, but she, once she gets on the bridge, she in a second is able to prove to Pike, I am valuable. I know my shit and I can perform better than the, the goober that you already have at, at communication deck or whatever. And I, I thought, Oh, that's a really cool scene because Kirk doesn't immediately prove. In, in fact, I feel like a lot of what he does, he's given a pass continually by Pike because Pike has this kind of good old boy mentality of, of needing a a reckless kind of captain at times who will will not necessarily play by the book like that's that's useful in in uh starfleet yeah you're and right. that's kind of the only reason that he keeps kind of uh, yeah. achieving rank because otherwise he's just a, a delinquent yeah. yeah you're right you you mentioned pike i want to get into this characterization of pike in a minute but um, the Ahura thing works for me. The relationship works for me. I, I see all your points and I get it. Um, but for me, um, yeah, everything you're saying, Grant, she is really established as someone who knows her shit and earns her spot and consistently gets more chances to shine as a character in this movie than we saw all the old, all the old Trek movies and Uhura got like one scene maybe where she's cool. Uh, and she deserves so much more. This this uh, version of Ahura gets gets uh, a lot more respect from the screenwriters, I think, than the original did. Also, the relationship works really well to because if you think about Spock, even though this is like more of a tortured, emotional Spock than we've ever gotten before, um, he is Spock. He is the logical guy. He's the guy who suppresses his emotions. So 
writing in a confidant who brings out his emotions in really important scenes where he needs to do that, like especially after Vulcan is destroyed, his mother dies, and he beams back onto the ship and has to take command and has to be the stoic leader. Um, Uhura gives him a minute to mourn and to break down and to find some comfort. And he needs that as a character. And I think we need that um, as as an audience watching this and watching this character go through this. So um, I think there there are plot reasons and there's character reasons for that uh, that love relationship to exist. I, I think it it doesn't work as well in the in the following movies, well, which we'll get into after this. But here it works pretty well for me. Right. It, it definitely kind of strengthens both of them in a way. Mm-hmm. Like I, my impression of of Spock from the earlier movies is he's treated kind of like this robot who is very logical, but emotionally distant from everyone, except for a little bit, his relationship with, with Shatner, uh, with Kirk. Um, but he's treated as uh, maybe asexual, although it's not really clearly defined there, I guess. Um, but his relationship here with, with her, I thought was, was interesting in that it also kind of, props her up in, in an interesting way, given the, the clout, I think of what, what has been uh, ascribed by the geek community to Spock and, Oh, if Spock would choose a person to date all the more valuable, also that it's the brilliant one of his Uhuru. students. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but to your point, it <laughs> wasn't his student. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like a TA, right? I don't know yeah. what's going on in that whole, well, academy the thing. whole thing to, to, I didn't think she needed that propping up. I didn't think she needed the cloud. I think that, I, I think if you take out that relationship and I, I can see and hear what you're saying about how it, it, it gave a little something, some humanity, give it, give, it gave him a confidant, an advisor, um, a humanistic advisor. I can see those things. Um, but I, I just felt like it, it, it almost wasn't fair to her. And I think that relationship could have had the same thing in that relationship if they were friends, mm-hmm. right? If, if they, you know, much like a Tilly and a Burnham or even a Saru and a Burnham. Maybe right? that's one of the differences from 2009 Star Trek and 2020 Star Trek. I think that is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think, too, I mean, here's the thing. I think I would have less of a problem with the the romantic relationship if I felt like the majority of her scenes weren't tied into that somehow. Because even when she mm-hmm. does prove herself on the deck, Spock has to be the one that says, yes, she's the good student. And it's like, sure, he probably would have said that if it was just a strictly teacher-to-student relationship if she was a good student. I don't think he was lying about that. But I almost wish someone else had spoken up to me like, yeah, she was the best in our class. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, it was like their romantic relationship was so integral to her also proving and getting the things that she wanted to be on the Enterprise and to, like, grab that spot on the deck and then I wish we had, it could have even been like one more scene of her solving some big problem 
to like if she had figured out a way to get communications before the drill went out. Like I just needed like one more like moment for her, I think, because we got multiple moments from the other deck crew. Like mm-hmm. Sulu, we get this like funny, quirky little moment where he doesn't essentially he leaves the parking brake on, you know, when they're mm-hmm. trying to leave, but then he proves himself as the pilot and then he proves himself as this like insanely amazing hand-to-hand combat you know, moment on the drill. And I love the way they introduced the fencing. crowbar in. It was so fun. And I loved that. And then like Chekhov, we also get him being able to solve all of these multiple problems and really proving himself. You know, we see all of these characters. Running through this, the, the, the ship to <laughs> solve the problem. This. I know how to I do, can do this. this. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. Uh, how long does it take to fall from the sky onto the ground? <laughs> Apparently you have enough time to run down the hallway and like play on it. another computer. But he, exactly. But he made it. And, and the and doctor the whole scene. got it right. Like yeah. we get all of these moments from these other characters who are on the deck that is just proof of their, uh, of their intellect and their skill set and that is it and i felt like we got her being like yes i intercepted this one thing and yes i speak all the dialects of romulan you know it was all in dialogue and not in action and so i think that is where and because she is literally the only woman on this entire crew period still that gets featured Mm-hmm. It was just like on the rewatch, I definitely felt it more. Yeah. Especially sure. now that we do have Discovery and all of these other shows where we get these like, but even thinking about like Voyager and <laughs> Next Gen, it was like we had all these opportunities to figure it out, folks, before we hit 2009. So even if you're going to leave it to just Ahura, like, let's really make her the badass that she is on screen. Anyway, I still really enjoyed this movie. I just want to say I that. did too. It's just <laughs> like- I, 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 want, I want to come back to something that Grant said too about... What did I say this time? No, no, no. It's good. It's good. It's good. You, you were talking about kind of Kirk and him being kind of given these extra chances by Pike. And there was something a little like, I don't know, like bro culture that that struck me a little off about there was one thing in particular that just I kind of, as I'm watching, I'm like, I'm going to go with it, but that does seem a little odd. And that was Chris Hemsworth is his daddy. <laughs> yeah. it's I'm looking and going Pike, like, so Pike's leaving the, en- the enterprise to the, go to the Narander, Nar- Nar- the, the big scary ship. Mm-hmm. Narada. And he's the Narada. That's it. And he says, Kirk, you're I'm making you first officer. And I was like, that's a big jump from get him off my bridge to all right, you're second in command. That's a huge leap for somebody who wasn't even supposed to be on your ship. He was right though. Kirk was right. I'm not Got saying he wasn't immediate props and a, a promotion. I'm not saying he wasn't right. And and when I think back to what they did with kind of discovery, they never gave Burnham that title. They never bumped her up, right? It Saru was next in line, so that's who got it, right? And Burnham had to slowly work her way back up. It just, it felt a little bit I like... Think, I think the movie does enough due diligence in setting up the crew in terms of, oh, this is a ship of of cadets and we're in an emergency situation and we really haven't taken the weeks or months or years to establish the uh, you know the the lineage here who's in charge really hierarchy the hierarchy yeah 
And, and all uh, the grown-ups get killed in like the first 15 minutes. Right. And Kirk does bust his way into the bridge because he knows, he recognizes something in this attack that no one else could. And he points to Uhura and Uhura um, confirms what he recognizes. And Pike gets that. And Pike gets, oh, the, this is the only guy that can, that really can determine what the threat is here because he's lived with this threat, this one threat that we're experiencing now hanging over his head his entire life because at the beginning of the movie, it killed his father. Um, so it makes sense to me that he would put him in charge. He he had, he immediately exp- like shows a leadership quality, right? Mm-hmm. It's, I have such a degree of confidence that I'm going to rescue the rest of the ship that I'm going to bust in here and I'm going to make that happen. I'm going to figure out what I need to do to save everyone. And he successfully does help save that ship from the fate of all the other ships. I mean, it's a, it's a shorthand of course, mm-hmm. behind the scenes that we know they eventually want Kirk to have to assume command by the end of this movie. And if Pike is, is is retconned in a way that he's going to throw a bone to this guy who he's got a guilt complex over his dad dying, I guess, 20 years previous. He's going to do it. Well, I think they did a pretty decent job of setting up Pike's knowledge that this kid is like the, uh, the kid who's bored in class who makes trouble because he's smarter than the rest of the kids, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's like, you're at this bar punching people, but you have outstanding scores. Why aren't you're you a in genius, Starfleet? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like, you should be in Starfleet. And then, you know, he has that, like, leap, don't look sort of mentality that I think Pike has a soft spot for and is like, you know, he says that. He's like, we're missing people like you in the Academy. We have lots of very smart, intellectual, logical people, but we're missing. Got a bunch of nerds. We got a bunch of nerds and we need a little (laughs) bit of testosterone pumped in with a a solid brain on there. (laughs) Like... (laughs) We need a guy who's going to steal his uh, dad's T-Bird when he's 10 years old, blast the Beastie Boys, and drive that thing right off a cliff. It's a fun scene. I like it. It is a great scene. It is fun. It is. Well, I'm so, and here's the thing about this movie, right? So I, like I said, you know, we're, we're pulling on some threads, but at the heart, like I said, I really enjoyed this. And I think part of that is because I had the history. So I, I, I've seen the, you know, I know that this is a great crew. I know that Kirk is a great captain. So I'm I'm pulling on it a little bit. But it's also, it was a great team up. And you guys know I love a team up. And I got it. Like, this was like a great team up. You got to see everybody in their, their special zone. You get to see people coming together. And I mean, it, it's fantastic. I ha- I'm going to say this, and you guys are going to hate this. I know this, right? I'm taking my headphones off. I can't hear it. <laughs> Put them on mute. <laughs> but if you think about, like, the very first Fast and Furious movie, right? Guys, I love that movie. I have no problems just, with the first Fast and the Furious movie. <laughs> right. What I, what I, but what I'm saying is, you know, it's, it's not going to win an Oscar, but it was fun. It's fast-paced. You kind of knew what you were getting going in. It's got a good story. That's what this felt like to me, right? It felt like I'm, it's it's going to be fast. 
and there are going to be some things that you just have to sp- suspend belief on just a little bit. Just like go, I was go with you're it. Be like, it's going to be fast, and there's going to be some things that make you furious. No, <laughs> even I can't go there. This uh, movie too is all about the family. It is all. It about is the about family. the family. Mm-hmm. I wanted to just mention too. I think the other reason I still even really enjoy this is it looks so good like amazing i I know i made the the joke about the lens flare but the other big thing for me is all of the sets are practical there's like very little blue screening done which i think helps it hold up so well because they built all of those sets industrial light and magic came in and did all of that work the makeup looks great the romulan ship looks dope the Romulan makeup looks really cool. I think it's also helpful for new Trekkies. And and it's something I noted to be able to tell a very distinct difference between Vulcans and Romulans because they gave them all those like crazy face tattoos and stuff for you to know these are the the bad pointy ears. And these tell are that the to good, that guy. Yeah, tell there's the <laughs> there's the good pointy ears and then the bad pointy ears. And they're bald. Um, yeah. And they're bald. And I think uh, Nero is a great villain. You know, it's such a compelling villain to, to, you know, you feel empathy for him because he's been in this time loop trying to seek revenge for watching his planet get destroyed for something he believes Spock held all of the keys to. And, um, yeah, I think it's it's really cool. I loved the only thing at one point when they were, like, fighting in the Romulan ship and there's, like, all these walkways. And I know it was a mining ship. But I was still like, there's no like handbars on any of these walkways. Like, <laughs> this is so there, dangerous. It's and so sharp. dangerous. It's a floating I warehouse. Like, I was like, this just seems very impractical, but I love it for this fight scene. It makes it so much more exciting. But <laughs> you know, I think the the Romulan stuff and the Nero stuff um, w- kind of gets a little muddled due to some of the editing. Like most J.J. Abrams movies, you look at his Star Wars movies. Um, a lot was rearranged in the editing. A lot of the stories and, and and plot you hear afterwards, a lot of that stuff was redone in the editing. And a lot of that was redone in the editing here. So I think Eric Bana does a pretty good job as Nero. And I find him really interesting and compelling. Fantastic. But I think some of the um, – just some of the Romulan stuff doesn't feel as deep as I wanted it to. It's, I wanted it to be explained a little bit yes. more or, or make me care a little bit more yes, about that's him why. because yeah. it just, there's a few scenes of like him shouting and he does a quick explainer of like, oh, I lost my whole planet. So mm-hmm. therefore I got to make Spock suffer. But I was like, is there any more to it? There <laughs> is. And it's on the cutting room floor or it's on the deleted scenes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I, the one time that I feel like some interesting, quirky humanity with Nero instead of just this kind of like angry, you know, villain, it's when he first shows up on the Enterprise view screen and he's like so casual. And he's like, you know, Pike introduces himself. He's like, I'm Christopher Pike. Who are you? He's like, Hi, Christopher. I'm Nero. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just so funny and casual because he. Hey, this is Nero. What up? Uh, what's up? <laughs> like Nero knows that he has this ship and any other ship that's going to come to him dead to rights. And he has his plan. So he thinks he has it all figured out. So he has his casualness about him when confronting his enemies. And in that moment, that just really comes through. And it just makes him feel like like a dude. You know, I like it. I, I just need I need a, a starship captain to go. All right. Hail them. And when they come up, just go, new phone, who this? 
<laughs> just, just bring a little bit more comedy into it. Let, let's roll it back a little bit. How you do? How do you guys feel about the direction of this movie? Like taking it all back to the beginning with the original Enterprise crew instead of giving us a new Enterprise crew or a new Starfleet crew altogether. Does it feel cynical? to you that we had to go back to the well or did it feel like the right thing to do? Would you have rather seen something It doesn't feel like new? they were trying to, it feels like it's an homage, a loving homage that isn't trying to make fun or poke holes at what the original was. Like, you know, like you think of the Brady Bunch, the yeah. movie, right? That's, that's all satirical take on that world. And a lot of these modern updates, Scooby-Doo or something like, it seems like, oh, you, you, you have to do it through this, this modern lens of looking back at what they were doing and making fun of it. This, this lens is, of irony. Yeah. 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 And this one is like pure straight up. We love what their template was. We're going to do the exact same thing. And we're just going to have our little, little tweaks on it, which this is named the Kelvin verse because of the USS Kelvin. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. Um, the, idea that this one the one key difference in this universe is the origin of kirk kirk no longer grows up with his father because of the um uh the conflict with nero at the beginning so kirk's origin is now um a little bit more uh it's bruised he's he's got a tragic backstory Mm -hmm. and from that there's still the same root personality of uh, a stubborn guy with a lot of swagger, but there's damage and a little bit of pain. I think that probably wasn't as apparent in the original Trek iteration, but we have the exact same Spock, right? Like this is supposed to be the same Spock up until the point when Nero destroys his planet. So at the point where we get to see there's, this going to be this new divergence of Spock is, when he sees the genocide of his planet. Yeah, I agree with you, Grant. I I think it's fine to go back and redo characters in this way. So it almost reminds me of, um, have, there's been multiple versions of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, for instance, and usually it's really well done because it's just updated for the time, right? Like the heists are different, but the, the main plot points are all still the same. Um, I think the, the latest one was that one with, uh, Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson. Mm-hmm. It's actually really good. I think it, it got like bad marketing, but I enjoyed it. Um, so anyway, my point being, I think you can take characters and the roots of characters as long as you are like moving them forward in a way that feels like it's actually being updated for the audience that you're, you're trying to appeal to now. Yeah, I, I I agree with that, Mariah. I'm a big like classical movie buff. Like I'm big into like Turner Classic movies. And so I see a lot of old movies that are redone and reimagined. And they're things like an affair to remember that's been redone a million times, right? Anytime that you hear someone go, well, let's meet at the the top of the Empire State's building. That's a homage or a reference to an affair to remember. Uh, but one of my favorites is a a little known movie called Shop Around the Corner that was redone into You've Got Mail. 
that's what this feels like to me in that you're not trying to do it like frame by frame, but what you're doing is you're taking the essence of it. You're taking what it, what it, it stood for and then updating it to the context that we're in today. Right. So in shop around the corner, you've got two people who are corresponding literally through mail and a post office box and you've got mail. They're sending email. Right. So it's updated. That's what this felt like to me. Like and and it wasn't updated in so much in just like the technology. But as we talk about the pace and the tone, right, the the language, it was just updated, but it, it felt familiar but also very unique. It stands on its own. And I think that's what I really like about this this particular film is I think it just, it stands on its own as a great piece. Like I said in the beginning, I was really concerned about the concept, but the execution was incredible. Yeah, Yeah. um, I agree. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, also from just like a marketing franchise standpoint, it's very smart. Like you essentially are like... uh, talking to the first generation of Trekkies kids and being like, hey, your parents were really into this, but now we've updated it and put it in a shiny Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto package for you. And now you can go back and maybe enjoy some of the rest of this. And, you know, there's such a huge back catalog for people to grab onto all of the merchandise. You know, it's just like if you look at it from like a business um, studio standpoint, very smart move, very smart move. And this movie does have uh, the two best Chris's. It does have the two best Chris's. Indeed. I like to ponder and think about when Chris Pine and Chris Hemsworth see each other. And in my mind, Chris Pine looks at Hemsworth and says, what's up, daddy? (laughs) (laughs) What's up, big daddy? I want to talk about this, this too, because I loved the costume and the set design of the Kelvin. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I thought what I responded to kind of looking at Chris Helmsworth um, and looking at these the costumes is I felt like, wow, they have they've they've taken it backwards so we can feel that this is in the past. But they've updated the tech, but not so much in a way that it felt weird. It was it was like there's this fine line of going, all right, we're going to go throwback. But it's going to, you know, we're not going to use the slide bars and the buttons and stuff like that. We're going to we're going to bring it to the future. We got and desk so I, lamps and antennas and shit. Yeah, I was going to say, even in this screenshot, it's such smart little pieces of the set it's just design little bitty, yeah, yeah, just it's little the, bitty pieces. It's the mix of the retro and the futuristic in both of these timelines, in Kirk's dad's time and Kirk's time, it's just so on point and so fun. And... That that whole movie has that appeal from the characterizations that feel a little wide-eyed and a little uh, old-fashioned, but also really tough. And, you know, Kirk is a bruiser. It's just that mix of retro and new that this movie nails on every level that makes it such a classic. So uh, this movie is a little bit difficult to watch for me and that seeing uh, Anton Yelkin back oh, no. is super sad because love that actor, um, Charlie Bartlett Trek. Um, if anyone has, hasn't seen it, check out the movie, the green room. Although it's really, it's a, 
Okay, maybe it's a tough watch. It's kind of intense. But with uh, John Luc Picard. Oh yeah, Jean Luc Picard is in there too <laughs> as a neo Nazi. Which uh, you know, if that's what I'm saying, he's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Anton Yelton's really good in the Fright Night remake too. Mm-hmm. Oh right, mm-hmm. I never saw that one, but yeah, looked good. He's just he's such a great actor, and it's mm-hmm. it's so tragic now. Like looking back and seeing every line he's delivering, I love when he can't say uh, Victor, Victor, Victor Victor. He's a Victor 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 Wolken. All of his lines are are adorable, and I I immediately get that he is a character that. Ha, is young but brilliant and has earned his place on here and tries to compose himself and take himself very seriously in just those few small scenes like they they flesh out that character in a way that I'm sorry to say but when I see the other Chekhov he's just a um, he's just a punchline it seems like in every scene he's well, comedic relief and here here I, I felt there's a degree of respect as well earned. He feels competent, like a competent yeah. officer. Yeah. Yeah. Instead well, of just kind of a boob. Mm-hmm. I, I think you're, you're spot on grant. I'm curious on the original series was Chekhov really young. Yeah. Did, did he play young? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They brought him in because he was supposed to be the, the Davy Jones. They wanted a Davy Jones type. So they brought him Looks in. Looks like a beach boy. Mm-hmm. Or well, monkey, I guess. Monkey, yeah. <laughs> the monkey. The other thing that I was really hesitant, kind of when I originally watched this, was I was thinking, how are you going to duplicate, was it DeForest Kelly? Like bones? Mm. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. I just didn't know what you, I was like, what are they going to do? That That's such a character that I'm thinking, if you try and go that way, you you could be in a lot of trouble. And this is this is a Keith Urban. Is that who that is? Carl Urban. Carl, Carl, Urban. Carl Urban. Sorry, <laughs> not the country Holden singer Urban. Keith Urban. No. So Carl Urban is probably the last person on the planet that I thought would be able to pull this off. Um, but I actually I really liked him in this role. <laughs> oh, he's fantastic. He's like the only one kind of doing somewhat of an impersonation of the yes. original actor, but it works. It works really well. And I, mean, the, I hate. The origin I, of how he got his nickname as Bones is just such a great punchline, too. Yep. That's what this movie does. Like, um, it's all like encapsulated in that joke. You know, my my wife took everything, but but the my, my, but my bones, right? And that's what this movie does. It gives us like uh, origin stories for things that it gives us all the origin stories we never had in Star Trek, and it makes them really fun. Um, and his performance, this was like the first time I realized, oh, this guy is kind of a quirky character actor. And since then, he's really taken on all these interesting comedy roles. Mm-hmm. He takes on all geek franchises yeah. now, it seems like. He's he's Dredd. He's Judge Dredd. Yeah. He's uh, in The mm-hmm. Boys. He's in Thor. Um, he's, he's in, in Thor. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was weird, though. Um, Simon Pegg. Oh, I love Simon Pegg. <laughs> He's great in this role I, and just in I, general, I love yeah I love also in, in the role. boys um <laughs> but huh. I thought what's weird about the Simon Pegg's character is how they come across Scotty and integrate him into the ship with with Kirk being blasted off onto this planet and then just I don't know how big this planet was but it must have been 
like the size of a beach ball because he runs right into Spock. And then right down the street is, is Scotty, the perfect guy who has magic, uh, a magic ship and technology to like, you know, blast people places. Well, this movie, even on in the text of the movie is about the magic of Star Trek. And I think, I think prime Spock even says it. Oh, it's as if we were, you were all destined to meet in this timeline, just like my Enterprise crew met in the previous timeline to, um, to make the world a better place and make the universe a better place and to have these friendships that are meaningful. Um, that's why we're all converging here. And, and I buy it. Yeah. It's another fun, you know, I know Trek loves to sort of have us continually go back and forth between free will and determinism. It's uh, definitely a theme we see often. I also, the thing, the way I rationalize the finding Spock and being so close to Scotty is he was pushed out in like an escape pod, essentially. And I'm assuming that pod is trying to put him as close to the star base that's like on that planet. Uh, And it misses by about 14 kilometers and that's why it's like, hey, someone's going to come get you because it's dangerous and there's these crazy monsters out here. <laughs> um, my only real qualm was those monsters do not look like snow monsters. I need fur. I need blubber. <laughs> As someone who has lived places where it snows on the regular. Insects don't like that. The, yeah. they, they look like reptiles, bugs. They're not going to be into it. <laughs> but that's why it's so cool. It's a contrast. But yeah, why would they be colorful anyway? I've it's now that contrast of that to big too red crab monster against this white background. It's just so eye popping. It, it it visually it looks mm-hmm. great scientifically yeah. and logically, not sound. <laughs> just didn't didn't hold up for you, Mariah. No. Not logical. <laughs> not logical. Yeah, but overall, I mean, I I thought the ensemble is great. Everyone brings something interesting to these characters, and and Mike, you're right. Uh, they all, you know, aside from bones maybe being a little bit of a character maybe scotty playing up uh simon Pegg playing up a more of a scottish accent because i don't think he's is he scottish i thought he's he's english british right yeah um yeah i thought that uh everyone was really good what'd you guys think about this characterization of pike it felt he commands pretty- respect yeah it felt pretty true to form. You know, he is leading a team of under-trained, you know, eager cadets into this battle, but is obviously a fairly level-headed commander because he's willing to listen to the crew, even if they are young. He seems like he's had that breadth of experience that comes with being able to judge people's character and also to make, you know, to jump on those decisions. I think he was looking for Kirk because he's like, I see myself in you. And I was like you when I was young. And this is what you can be if you stick around long enough. Um, You know, and they managed to sort of write themselves at the end. He's in the wheelchair, right? Because of his injuries. Um, But I don't know if that sticks. I think in the next movie, he's like, fine. It was just like an injury. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, you know, we get that sort of glimpse of where the rest of us are sort of used to seeing what happens to Pike at the end of the movie. Um, You know, and I think seeing how that torture scene between him and Nero, especially for me was like the biggest example of that characterization. Like even when faced with like, Oh, this thing he's going to shove in my mouth is going to make me tell the truth, but I'm not going to willingly tell the truth to give him these codes so that he can, he can hurt Starfleet. He is Starfleet above everything. 
Um, and I thought that characterization still still held true in this in this iteration of Pike. And even in that torture scene, which which helps us define this Pike, that's a callback somewhat or a reference or something to Star Trek Two, with mm-hmm. the uh, the little bugs, yeah, the little that bugs that, that make that control you. Yeah, this movie is all about one of the great smart things about this movie is that it acknowledges and celebrates that several decades of Star Trek canon and it respects it while erasing it and giving us something new. Like it's like we respect it and we're going to put it over here and it's still there. And now let's do something new and not be uh, hindered by it. And I, I, it just works. I'll, I'll say I found myself comparing this Pike to Anson Mount Pike, because I think that has become my favorite Pike. Um, and so it, it was almost like, well, if it does this line up kind of on the rewatch with who I now think Pike is, and it was kind of like, not quite. And I had to just reset and go, but th- does it line up with Pike? And I was like, it does. Right. Like the Pike that I now know is a Pike that is just a little bit kind of more calm, a little, little more even and, you know, more beardy. But uh, it just, I, so yeah, I liked them. I thought it was a good Pike. Um, you know, not my Pike, but a good Pike. I, I don't know. I, I, I felt these were one in the same. I thought they, yeah. they do pretty closely to each other and... I was like, I, I get it. There's something about Bruce Greenwood when he walks into that bar and like the the respect that he has, his his even keeled temperament, and just like I'm gonna sit and have a beer with you, and I'm gonna chat with you about your past, and you know, be optimistic about what Starfleet could be, and try and appeal to Kirk about like why he should join. I mm-hmm. I bought into it like hook, line, and sinker. I was like, yeah, and the, the way he re- works, the way he recognizes Kirk's talent and gives him a platform. It's a lot like uh, the Pike we saw in Discovery with Michael Burnham. Yeah, right. I also I, think I, you saw his like command his the way he can command by just breaking up a bar fight with a whistle, right? Like that to me <laughs> felt very Pike. Like <laughs> yes. yeah, he just also I think Greenwood came across a little more direct, where Mount comes across a little bit more indirect. Like I feel like Mount is like I want you to get there through your own revelation. And Greenwood was like, no, we're going to cut to the chase and I'm going to tell you why you why you should do this. That was the only difference. So, Guys, we got 90 minutes, yeah. not 12 episodes. <laughs> Let's do this. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's because yeah. I think we're not in a television format. And, right. um, you know, it's interesting because we do get to sort of see Kurtzman, like his writing style for Star Trek characters so much and what happens in this movie, I think, carries over into what we see in Discovery. Like, mm. Almost all of these characters are written as fully realized humans who have full backstories. And we're going to give you these small pieces for you to fall in love with these characters. And and the only big difference is we have to do it all in 90 minutes versus over 13 uh, episodes of a season. So Very well said. Yeah. So something I want to ask you guys in how this relates to the bigger picture of the Trek universe that we currently are following, the main prime universe. Prime. I'm not sure what we're calling <laughs> it. Prime. Um, we see Spock, old old ass Spock, Leonard Nimoy, come from that 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 universe. Oh wait, I got I got an image queued up here. There he is. We have that Spock 
come into this universe on a mission to try and, um, or as a result of failing to save uh, the Romulan planet. Does that track with what you guys already know about um, yes. the Trek universe? Like that, those were some a series of events that had happened and Spock disappeared at, during the course of the it? last time we saw Spock in canon before this movie was in an arc on the next generation in which he was working to um, reunite the Romulan culture with the Vulcan culture. And he was basically the unofficial ambassador to Romulus. And he was spending all his time and energy trying to um, bring reunification between those two races that had been cousins in, you know, many generations ago. So it makes sense that he would be the one to take this mission on to try to save Romulus. And uh, are Vulcans... Do they age slower? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, he's like 200, 300 years old. Yeah. That's that's another thing I was kind of curious about. Um, so in our prime universe, um, the Romulan planet, Romulus? Mm-hmm. Romulus. Mm-hmm. Explodes. Mm-hmm. And does that that's kind of playing a little bit into uh, the Picard story. Exactly. Saying, right? It's the same, same uh, stream of events. Yeah. Okay. So at that point, presumably... Spock disappeared over he into disappears. the Kelvin universe and maybe he comes back. Maybe he doesn't. We don't know. Well, spoilers, but he dies in the next movie. Oh, is that what happens? Okay. Yeah. I, I don't remember. Cause Leonard Nimoy passed, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. I also, I really liked at the very, very end, we get Spock doing the, the space final frontier monologue. I oh, really it's so good. It. It's so yeah. good. <laughs> and then the, uh, the original Alexander courage, theme plays over the credits Mm -hmm. from the original series i love that too yeah just these screenwriters knew what they were doing even though jj abrams famously said he was not a huge star trek fan obviously he said he was more of a star wars fan now we see what happened with that and he gets to do them all gets to do them all Mm -hmm. but kurtzman orsi and um lindelof who produced were star trek fans and you can just feel the love for the franchise in this really entertaining popcorn movie that has a great legacy over the past, what, it's 11 years old, 10 years old, and it still, it still pops. It does. I, I, there's just one thing I don't understand. Mike, maybe you and Mariah can help me out with this. How many times have we said the words Abrams and Lindelof? And this guy over here in the corner has not made one reference like the entire show. I'm being a good boy. <laughs> I, I was going to say, my this spouse like- was like, you should set up a bet with Grant at the top of this episode. And if he can go the whole thing, you should send him an entire pizza. <laughs> I, just, I mean, any any other episode, any other episode, we'd get three references. But the one time where I'm thinking... This is this is appropriate for Grant to have as many lost references as he wants. We get none. I'm I don't understand. I'm shocked. <laughs> you know Why what? are you Let's... bringing it up now, Clyde? <laughs> Lindelof was an ex- executive producer on this. I don't necessarily feel as much of the narrative imprint of Lindelof in this. I didn't mean to put this up yet, but I did want to. <laughs> I did want to point out that, you know what? You know who I was not feeling in this movie? 
with Sarek. Really? And I love the Sarek that we get with um uh what's his name? Frain in uh in Discovery now. But this one, I don't know. <laughs> like something about him just reminded me of of Jim Carrey from Dumb and Dumber with that haircut and like how he's just kind of <laughs> they all have that a little haircut. bit bewildered yeah, in like well. every scene he's doing. I uh I I really like the scene where Spock essentially gives the like fuck you live long and prosper that's the si- best at the council that is so the good. best because like you can tell it's like all of the i love that they set up all of the moments where it's like spock is totally vulcan until you do a your mama joke and then it's all over you know mm-hmm. like anything surrounding his mom he's gonna punch you in the face <laughs> well i love, the, I love that his writer. journey is rooted in the idea that he is just rejected um, mm-hmm. from the very, his, his entry into Vulcan society, he's just on day one, he's rejected that when the bullies come for him, he's like, I guess you guys got new insults for today. Let's do this. You know, he's just ready for it. It's just so great. Uh, and then just, he dang near kills that dude. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Just like, if, if you're going to be like that, you got to be able to back it up. Right. And just pos- positioning him as this unwanted outsider from the beginning who, when he grows up, you know, he's hiding all of that damage and turmoil behind that stoic veneer. And it, and, and then when it, when it cracks through, it's so energetic. Yeah. So but good. it also felt like it, it lined up with what Kurtzman did with discovery too, and introducing Spock and Spock's backstory. Like it felt familiar. It felt like, okay, as I'm watching this bullying, we see that, and and dis- and his background and discovery too, so I, I thought it was a great tie-in. All right, we like yeah. the movie. We all like the movie. I mean, I think maybe the weakest part was the the third act. Just uh, wrap it up because yeah. of how fun everything was in the buildup. But mm-hmm. like, oh, the, the destroying the planet and and stopping it. I was kind of like with the red yeah, matter from Alias. <laughs> I, I'm okay with those. Me kind too. Of, I thought uh, it was great sci-fi yeah. like pseudo sci-fi stuff i'm yeah. like oh fringe cool yeah um yeah but overall that the stopping the the drill on the planet it was fun it was fun enough it was a good gambit i guess agreed all right um anything else to say about the movie before we wrap do we really um, have to watch the second one? Yes. <laughs> uh, I was going to read. Um, well, I was trying to see if I had any good, actually good lines in this review that I wrote as a sophomore in college. It's not mm. great, but <laughs> as far us. as, uh, but I think there's like <laughs> a good line is just like from those who've been loyal to the series since William Shatner played Captain Kirk to even the casual Trekkie, the movie pays to homage to one of the greatest science fiction series ever created and the new movie brings hope that maybe a new installment to the series may come as the last scene of the film plays out with a famous motto uh from the original which is not correct it's not a motto it's like i'm editing myself as i'm reading this the original <laughs> oh, yeah. television series and then it's just the space the final frontier these are the voyages of the starship enterprise and it's like it's such a fun you get like excited when you hear that at the mm-hmm. end you're like more they're gonna give me more <laughs> And they did. And you we see got, what that that more is. We got two get more movies, me to... but I think of it more of as like it's the the door that opened to get us to discovery, right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. agreed. Yeah. So it was a good door. Glad we opened. And brought us four friends together to talk about it. Ah, <laughs> magic rainbows. 
All right, guys. Thanks for watching this movie and talking about it with me. Um, and yes, we are going to watch Star Trek Into Darkness. Hopefully that's going to drop on Patreon next week. Thank you so much for joining the pod this week. Remember, we'll be back next week on Patreon, Patreon only, to talk about Star Trek Into Darkness. And after that, Star Trek Beyond, Patreon only. Yes. And don't forget, <laughs> you can still watch us live every Thursday talking Trek. And of course, we'll be covering Lower Deck starting in August. So go to StarTrekPod.co to subscribe. And a quick reminder of where you can find our Patreon stuff, patreon.com slash Star Trek pod. We're going to be doing, of course, these movie reviews. We've done other previous movie reviews of the Genesis series uh, up through um, that Star Trek six, whatever that one was called. Um, the undiscovered country. Undiscovered country. Mm -hmm. And uh, then Mike and Mariah are doing badass women of Trek and best of seven of nine series. So you can go check out all of that great stuff. Patreon.com slash star Trek pod. Go there, make the $2 an episode pledge. Thanks guys. And just as a reminder, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at star Trek pod. And if you like this episode, tweet it out, let people know, please, uh, that we're doing this and that you want to share that we're having fun talking about Trek. Also want to shout out two people who help us so much. Want to shout out Karen, who runs our Twitter, and James Worm, who helps out on our Insta. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks again for watching and or listening. Find us at StarTrekPod.co. Uh, Clyde, where can we find you online? You can find me at Clyde Haynes on Twitter, and you can also find me on the web at www.keyandclyde.com. That's K-E-I and Clyde.com. Mariah. I'm at Mariah Gossett on all platforms. Again, that's Mariah with a Y and a Gossett with two S's and two T's. Grant. At Baron Von Grant. Find me on Twitter at Mike M. Garcia. Live long and prosper. Bye.